This is a presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Streetwise Podcast. This is your host, Brock Wilbur. I'm of the pitch and this podcast is an extension of the pitch you are listening to this because it is a pitch 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 i like talking what until like words stop having meaning it's a good fun time for me um speaking of people talking until things uh lose all meaning i am recording this right now as a break from a copy of marry me uh that was sent to us it is the new film uh, that comes out this weekend, uh, starring JLo and Owen Wilson. And the premise of it is that JLo is a world famous musician already. That's, that's pretty good. Got that handled. Hard to mess that one up. Uh, who is supposed to get married to her music producer boyfriend on stage because her hit single is called marry me. And so she is going to have him marry me and as she walks onto stage she finds out he's been cheating with her assistant and so instead she picks a random person from the audience owen wilson and marries him instead uh it is just a horrifically stupid premise uh it is but it is excellent at being the exact sort of stupid wonderful rom-com that we would have gotten from those exact two same people 20 20 years ago, two decades ago, because like this fits right in with like Made in Manhattan and Two Weeks Notice and Someone Like You, which are all movies that I adore. So like as much as I hate what I'm watching right now, I feel like I'm being transported back to 2002. And for that, I will not be writing it up on the website because I want to thank it. It's it's like uh, when Marie Kondo tells you to throw out something that once meant a lot to you, but now serves no purpose. You can you can thank it. You can thank it for what it gave to you. And I am preemptively thanking a movie that is not out to the public yet for what it has offered me in terms of a portal back to a time when I really enjoyed rom-coms that now have all aged just horribly, just horribly. Don't don't go revisit them. Um, anyway, we've got a great episode of the podcast today. Uh, later on, we have an interview with Laura Lorson of uh, the NPR's uh, All Things Considered. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy that talk. Um, before that, uh, we will have Nick's Music Corner. Um, but right now, uh, we're doing uh, Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment is going to do a reading of the story Taking Flight, uh, which just ran in our newest issue of The Pitch, out on stands now. Jason, take it away. Taking Flight, Raven Bookstore's employee co-ownership solidifies a new future, by Michael Kripe. Raven Bookstore's next chapter starts with fresh leadership. Danny Kane, co-owner of the Lawrence Bookstore, sold 49% of the company to seven of its employees, effectively splitting ownership with the individuals who help run it every day. The new co-owners are Kelly Barth, Mary Walmeyer Bracciano, Jack Hawthorne, Nikita Imafidan, Chris Luxem, Hannah Rydell, and Sarah Young, and they are prime examples of the ideals Raven seeks to uphold. These are the people who are at the core of the Raven, Kane says. They're running a lot of the store on the management level, or they've been here for a very, very long time. The eight of us have 70-plus years of experience at the Raven, 
So it's just a lot of institutional wisdom, and that's the heart of the store right there. It's not a building. It's not a collection of books. It's those people working for 70-plus years cumulatively. Kane says the team is a sound group to lead Raven Bookstore into the future. He was inspired by a Cambridge, Massachusetts bookstore called Porter Square Books, which saw a similar leadership change a few years ago. With the framework for an employee-owned business already established, Kane felt he should follow that model to make both the Raven and Lawrence better. The sale was also done to diminish the notion that it's okay for retail and bookstore workers to be exploited. In retail in general, and also in book selling, there's this reputation that I don't agree with, that you do it for the love, Kane says. It's like, you're a bookseller. You're never going to make much money. But it's okay because you get free books or you get to meet authors. I didn't like that. It seemed like a way to exploit workers, and I wasn't interested in doing that. Luxem says the co-owner role is already leaving him with a more rewarding experience. Since Kane originally approached the team with the idea to create an employee-owned environment, the Raven crew has worked together to achieve the same outcome seen at Porter Square Books. It was definitely inspiring to know that things can work this way too, Luxem says. It doesn't always have to be the hierarchy of one person on top and then everyone below. You can expand that out and bring in some equity to people. We all want to make sure everyone is treated well here and has equitable experiences and access to everything. Luxem adds that he wouldn't mind seeing other stores in Lawrence follow suit. He says that the budding concept of employee ownership has room to grow, but will only reach its full potential so long as other businesses are paying attention. The Raven's potential butterfly effect remains to be seen, for now. While some effects of the Raven's shift, such as projected positive trends in profits and worker motivation, won't be felt for months or even years, there are some immediate changes to take notice of. Children's section manager Brachiano can already feel the impact. When I think about the choices that I make in my work and the people who I'm impacting, knowing that I can say, yeah, I'm an owner, it's kind of cool, Brachiano says. Pushing to make such a drastic structural at the Raven is quite the bold move, though those familiar with Kane's work won't be surprised to hear his stance. He published a book called How to Resist Amazon and Why in 2019, covering how consumers can push against Amazon's dominance and instead support their local, small businesses, all while platforming an open letter from Kane to Amazon founder and chairman Jeff Bezos. Effectively selling half of Raven Bookstore to seven employees is a small step toward correcting a mindset instilled in generations of retail workers. These employees can have a future in bookselling thanks to the shift. Kane says five other stores have already reached out, and he hopes there will be more. If it creates a domino effect, that's wonderful. I think nationwide workers should be getting more equity in where they work, Kane says. It should be easier to make a career in this industry. Working retail for a small business doesn't need to be seen as a place where you're not going to make money or a dead-end job. This team mentality is baked into the Raven's structure, representing a stark change from the usual lone wolf mindset found in many small businesses. Kane says he's confident the Raven will have a place in Lawrence for a long time, thanks to the flexibility the decision provides. I believe a good bookstore can be the heart of a community, Kane says. Having a thriving and active bookstore in a community is really good at so many levels, from providing literary programming to jobs to donating books to helping schools and libraries order books. And now it's time, as always, for Nick's Music Corner. Hello, I'm Nick Spacek, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Since 2013, Taylor Russell, a producer from Kansas City, Missouri, has been making synthwave music under the aegis of the TCR. Over the last year, Russell has dropped three new albums on his bandcamp, such as the B-Sides and Rarities collection Valley of the Droids, the retro synth records album Luminous Times, and his latest, an EP entitled After Dark, released in January. 
Drawing equally from sci-fi soundtracks and 80s electronic dance music, these cyberpunk gems work equally well as vibey background music or when in the foreground for your latest after-dark chillwave dance party. With 14 releases to dig through, you're sure to find something you like, whether it's Vangelis-style soundscapes or Daft Punk meets Giorgio Moroder club bangers. You can snag all of the TCR releases on Bandcamp at tcr-tcr.bandcamp.com. Here's the title track to After Dark.
uh, strap in for just one hell of an interview. Here we go. Hey, welcome to the Streetwise Podcast. Would you introduce yourself to the audience? Hello, uh, my name is Laura Lorson, and I work at Kansas Public Radio in beautiful Lawrence, Kansas. How long have you been working in public radio? I have been working in public radio a very I'm long time. I'm so sorry, time. everybody. We did like a false start on this where I didn't hit record. So we're just covering the first bases again because I'm a dumb piece of shit. My God, no, so upset. I'm going to make this a lot shorter because your eyes were glazing over. I first got a job in radio. Um, well, actually, I did briefly do some stuff with KJHK and Lawrence because I'm a graduate of the University of Kansas. Rock many, chalk. many, many moons ago. <laughs> And, uh, but it wasn't something I thought I would do. And I was in graduate school pursuing a degree in philosophy because I wanted to teach philosophy. And I got basically hepped to a public radio job from a work study card. And that was on a bulletin board somewhere. And I applied for the job and I got the job. A lot of things happened. I ended up at NPR in Washington. And then, um, I decided I needed to make a change because my job as an editor in Washington made me be really awful to people. <laughs> I would yell at people Being all an the time. Make and it was... you a better person because you don't have better relationships with people. It's one of those no. stops here things where you're like, I don't mean to be a dick about this, but like, oh, if I don't, who's gonna? <laughs> well, and I, I will tell you. Here's the story of of actually like this moment where I was like, I have to stop doing this. And a person came to me and I was editing for All Things Considered at the time. And she said, I'm not going to make my deadline. And I was just like, well, why not? She's like, I'm at the doctor's office. I was like, you better be like terminal or I don't want to hear it. I mean, are you kidding me? This is like a national show. You are leading the show. What do you mean you're not going to be ready? And it turned out she was. And I thought, like terminally ill. I could not believe I had said this thing to this person. What? What? Who does that? Who is this person? This is horrible. You need to stop this. Okay, so I started looking for a different job. You ever feel <laughs> when, different... when, like capitalism gets into your bones and you're like, oh no. I... <laughs> well, that was kind of it. Like yeah. at the moment, I was just like, oh, this is awful. So, you know, I apologized profusely. Not even at the time. I was just like, this still doesn't solve my problem of how we're going to lead the show. Um, because, you know, I guess I am an Aaron Sorkin gal, you know, like freaking out in front of the mic. I don't know. So anyway, um, I started looking for a different job within the organization. And I found a different one that wasn't quite so pressure filled. Because I was like editing all things because they're like the show, mm. right? <laughs> it's me. Yeah, my name on the line. Nobody knew who I was, but I'm the background person, and it's it may not be my fault, but it's my responsibility. Like that thing, and that was eating me alive. And I was really young to have that job, and it was ridiculous. So anyway, I find this other job, and I did that for a while, and the show didn't really succeed that well. And then I took a job with a different show, which I hated. Hate, hate, hated. And I did a thing I had never done before and have never done since, which is just flat quit. I didn't have anything lined up. I was just like, I'm done. I'm done here. Forget it. I don't want to deal with you. And then uh, I did just various goofy jobs. And then um, back in the early days of the internet, back before you would just, you know, like point click, there was no LinkedIn. There was none of this stuff. But there was an online um, solicitation for people to apply for a job for KANU in Lawrence, Kansas. And I was like, 
I'm going to get that job. I applied for that job. <laughs> and I applied and I got the job. And the funny part of that was um, they had actually closed the search and opened it back up again. I called and the person who is now my boss said, literally, if you can be here in 72 hours, the job is yours. And I was like, okay. And I hung up the phone. And I went and I bought a car. <laughs> And I drove to Lawrence and I got the job. Love this cross country race in order to. <laughs> well, yeah, I was in Chicago, so it wasn't like it was that far. But anyway, the point is because it was Chicago and I had always worked in public radio and all these sorts of things, I didn't have a car. I, you know, I did public transit because you can do that in Chicago. Right. And so it was like, oh, wait, I have to go somewhere with no public transit. I got to buy a car. Eh, what am I going to do? So off I went. And um, yeah, so. They had this great trust in me, I guess, because I'd been working for the network for so long. They're like, oh, yeah, you'll be able to ha handle it. And everybody, like, went to a conference somewhere. It's like me with the keys. To the okay, you people are nuts, but that's fine. And um, so anyway, I got the job, and that was in 2001. And uh, I have been here ever since. Um, my boyfriend, who was living all the way across the nation, was working for NPR in Washington, and he had gone to KU, and I was like, hey, honey, guess what? <laughs> guess what, boyfriend, who I haven't seen in a while? Um, I got a job in Lawrence. He's like, well, I kind of like to live in Lawrence. And I was like, okay, here's what's not going to happen. We're not going to do the Lawrence-like thing where you show up and then, like, sleep on my floor for the next 15 years. And I buy you beer every weekend. And we all just sort of wring our hands about, oh, Laura's terrible boyfriend. So he was like, well, I guess we could get married. So, yeah, he came out here and we got married. And... um he was really excited about like living in Lawrence, but he didn't know what he was going to do. And I was like, well, what did you do before? He's like, I worked at a record store. I was like, you should go see if you can get your job back. <laughs> he, he was like, oh, yeah, it's a good idea. So he will. So he goes to the place. It's like, hey, guess what? I got my job back. And I was like, okay, that's good. He's like, I think I'm going to book some shows of the replay again, too. I was like, okay, that's great. Um, if you're happy, I'm happy. I'm going to continue doing this job. And I was hosting Morning Edition at the time, so my hours were really janky. Anyway. That, that doesn't work with rock so, venue stuff. That's uh... It really doesn't. So we barely saw each other for a while. And then I want to say it was like, I don't know, six or seven, six or seven months. And he came in and he was just like, I'm really bummed. They're, the guys who are running the record store don't run the record store anymore. And I was like, well... That's, that sounds bad for Lawrence. I mean, bad for us, but in general, it sounds bad for Lawrence. You should you should buy the store. You should see if you could buy them out. You should see, see can you purchase the stock or whatever. I don't know anything about this. I don't do this. I studied philosophy, and now I do radio. I don't know what you, I don't know what you do for this. And he was like, oh, that's a good idea. So he talked to a bunch of people, and we took out a bunch of loans, and we did all this kind of stuff, and we bought the store. And that store is Love Garden Sounds. So you. You you came to that the exact same way my wife and I came to own the pitch, but like I I would much rather have a record store. Like, I feel like you know it's pretty great. It's this is the thing that um, my husband Kelly Corcoran was pretty much born to do this job. He's he loves music of all kinds. He's super non judgmental. Like he is he is the anti high fidelity store owner. Wonderful. Like you you come in and say. Hi, I'm looking for I Just Called to Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder. And Kelly Corcoran is going to say, let's do it. And while you're here, 
Could I also suggest a couple of other things? If that's the kind of music you like, I think I've got some other things that you might like too. And uh, we have been, we've worked really, really hard to make sure it's a staff that's really um, focused on what do you like? Let me help you find some more of that because we are not about like shaming you. And I think this is largely because both Kelly and I really love music and had gone through the late 80s and early 90s of going to record stores and being hassled constantly about well, in my case, you're a girl, what do you know? Oh, I was going to show you something that's like really good because you have terrible taste. Okay, I had I learned how to live with that. Um, but Kelly, also, I think we, we both really recognize that the entry point is really difficult for a lot of people because there's so much stuff out there. And it's even harder now that they're streaming. So um, we really believe in the project of... If you would like to hold something physical in your hand and experience a record store and talk with people about music and why you like it, and maybe we as curators can help you find something else that you like, um, that's that's what we want to do. Your uh, your bad record store experiences are uh, akin to um, something like 65 70% of uh, Guitar World sales are to yeah. women. But like fifty mm-hmm. percent of that is online because no one wants to come in mm-hmm. where the Led yeah. Zeppelin guy is like, "What? Why aren't you playing a better song right now?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's that. I will never forget. Okay, one of my many many record store stories. I was in a um, I was in a little hole in the wall place in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, semi well known, but anyway, I was kind of uncomfortable in there anyway because at the time. Very few women were kind of like crate diggers, which is what I absolutely was. And I found uh, an original pressing of No New York, that, um, yeah, which <laughs> Arto Lindsay and all these guys doing like scronk. And I was just like, ah, ah, I want this. I want this so much. And the guy's like, that's a terrible record. And I was like, <laughs> I, don't even, I, I don't even care. I want it. And he was just like, it's going to cost you 20 bucks, you know, which is just being mean because in 1989. Yeah. Yeah. And you just told me it was a terrible record. You're just doing this to be a jerk. You know what, buddy? I'll give you 30. (laughs) It's mine. I want it. I found it. And I don't care what you think about it. And, um, you know, it's whatever. I, I, our entire goal is to never treat somebody like that. And, and, Having had those experiences, particularly in the world of music, I think um, Kelly and I both have really strong opinions about criticism Mm. for either film or music or art or anything. The question is, what is the criticism for? Sure. Who are you serving with this and why are you doing it this way? Um, Because too many – well, I've noticed it. I've noticed it more obviously in the era of social media that too much of it seems to be how many clicks can I generate? Can I just get people to pay attention to me by saying something perfectly outrageous? And I think what that has led to is this generation of people who don't trust their own artistic taste. (laughs) And that's kind of what we want to help encourage with Love Garden. Or if I put a particular movie reviewer, several people uh, on the air, (laughs) they're always 
people with a really strong voice who are more like, look, I know what I think about this and I trust my taste. Right. And maybe maybe it's not your taste and that's fine. But they're not necessarily looking over their shoulder constantly like, oh, am I going to get enough likes from this? They're going to tell you what they actually think about right. the film or the painting or the show they went to go see. And uh, I think I think that's a very admirable thing about the pitch and, and about um, about living in this part of the country. People tend to to um, sort of jump in with both feet to say, "I want to know what I like, not I want to parrot what you like." And I really appreciate that about living in this area. So. I I kind of like it as a move from Los Angeles, where my big concern was like, "Oh, I'm not gonna all my favorite bands won't come through." They do now just as a steady trickle where they're not all on the same night. So like it's uh, curated a little bit by the limitation of it. I'm like, oh, this is this is better, especially in my 30s when I get tired earlier. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Not a lot of my favorite bands seem to come through. I mean, I know the last two years have been a sure. complete anomaly. What are you going to do? <laughs> but I did. I saw a show that I really, really, really wanted to see. Mm -hmm. And the artist in question, I think, was having maybe the least fun gig of his life. <laughs> oh, no. He was so unhappy. He was so unhappy. And I just thought, oh, this is terrible because this means, like, fewer prog bands are going to come through here if they ask this guy. <laughs> he was just not he would he did not have a good time and i was so upset because i had really okay fine it was stephen wilson and <laughs> <laughs> who is not a guy you think about like having fun right he's right. not exactly like happy guy i was trying to but run I through just... my head i was like well the primus show got canceled like what else? <laughs> <laughs> no this was this was in 20 you know what it was it was right it was right after election day 2016 like within days so gotcha. it was like really close to that and he was at the folly and he was having such a bad time <laughs> it was terrible i mean the music was was you know technically flawless so like what you would expect from stephen wilson what do you gonna do? but i i just really got the sense that this guy was like not having a good time it's like this guy's never come to kansas city again <laughs> oh crap oh well but um yeah what you gonna do um I do, I do like that, and, and again, because we're in the middle of the country, we have a different sense of, like, what's doable. Mm -hmm. People come to Chicago, yeah, let's go to Chicago. Right. <laughs> People come to Denver, yeah, let's go to Denver. <laughs> um, and, of course, being in Lawrence, you get sort of the vitality of younger bands that haven't been signed yet in a lot of cases, or uh, more more really small kind of indie rock bands, but obviously we're close enough to Kansas City that if I feel like in the mood to see an arena show, mm -hmm. I can go to an arena show or whatever. <laughs> I know it's not called this anymore. It's changed name like 15 times. Whatever Sandstone Amphitheater is. It's, it's still that. It's still that. It'll okay. never... <laughs> it's Sandstone. <laughs> because, hey, when I was in high school, my family moved here when I was a junior in high school from Louisville, Kentucky. And... Um, so I was like conspicuously unenthused about that. But I realized, oh, a lot more like arena bands will come here. So I went to like everything I could glom a ticket to. I was going to say, how many never had rock any... fests are under your belt? <laughs> uh, well, oddly, uh, because I grew up in Louisville, you get the free Derby Eve jam. So the very first concert I ever went to was a free Fog Hat concert at, at Churchill Downs. Woohoo! Nice. <laughs> 
and I love Arena Rock. You know, it's, you can tell I'm just like not in the I'm going to give you my indie obscuro cred. No, I love big, dumb, classic rock. I love it. First one here um, is Bon Jovi and Molly Hatchet. So like, yeah, sweet. We're, we're in it to win it. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. But OK, so like 1984, I went to see at Sandstone. Somebody gave me a ticket to Chicago, so and that was great. And somebody gave me a ticket to Ario Speedwagon, which was amazing. <laughs> I did like a 35-minute version of Roll with the Changes. I was in heaven. It was so great. These are also <laughs> all bands that, in my head, no one's ever bought a ticket for. They're just gifted tickets to them because that's yeah, the way just, I saw them, too. Like, <laughs> yeah, know, it's I'll like, see Chicago again. Sure, it's free. It's fine. <laughs> why not? Well, yeah, and... It's just, I'm amazed by all these people who somehow don't have those connections and how they get to shows. Because to me, price was always a huge barrier. Like I would, I just, I didn't grow up in a family where we had, you know, the money for me to stop on a dime and pay, you know, in the 80s, 1850 to go see Phil Collins or whatever. But, you know, somehow I would invariably like win a ticket. Or, or find a ticket or somebody would have one and, and I could go. And I grew to really, really love live music because there's nothing like it. Once they really figure out the acoustics of getting it in your house, but it'll never quite be right, right. you know, that I don't care how good your Sonos is or you can have the best speakers in the world. It's still not going to sound the same. You you have to be there. And and that, you know, I'm very, I, I'm very ambivalent about like oh we're missing out so much on COVID it'll be back it's fine but they're they're like a, a an age range of about four years from I want to say like 15 to 19 I want to find these kids and grab them by the shoulders and be like you have to go I mean you've been conditioned to think you don't have to go but you have to go right it's going to change your life you know so because I I love audio that much and and there's just there's just something about it. We, um, I think the last really big show we went to, oh, we went we went to see Radiohead at the Sprint Center, and um, it was fantastic. The just the acoustics were just right for that band, mm -hmm. and the people there were thrilled to be there. And there was just something about being in that group of people in that space and hearing that audio bouncing off the walls that. It's it's just you can't duplicate it, and that's it's wonderful. So, one of the many great things of living living in this area, you get the really big bands, you get the really small bands, but you get the bands, and that's that's fantastic. And of course, in the last few years, you I th and I think the pitch is really uh, largely um, responsible for it. I just feel like sort of the art house movie scene has gotten so much better, much sure, much more stuff comes through here. I. I started here in, like I said, 1984 is when I moved here. I was too young to drive, so I was sort of held hostage to parents willing to drive you or <laughs> a friend of mine could drive. And I remember going to see Stop Making Sense at the Tivoli Boy, when howdy. it first came out. And it was like, okay, I want to do this as much as I can. Not just a music <laughs> movie, but that was sort of my, like my gateway into um, – smaller films just sure. like not multiplex films and whatever and i spent so much time at the glenwood or at the tivoli or once i moved to lawrence liberty hall saw saw alex cox's straight to hell the night it opened in liberty hall it wow. was great yeah i know saw um saw blue velvet at liberty hall in its opening run and thought, okay, well, this has changed my life. Hello. You know, what are the things you can do with cinema that I wasn't aware you could do with cinema 
from going, you know, growing up in the 80s as a, you know, the mid-80s as a teenager, mm -hmm. um, you know, movies were, <laughs> you know, action films and, and you know, Romancing Stone, whatever. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just I didn't know you could do more right? until, you know, I was sort of exposed to the art house theater scene of Kansas City. Well, we get the shift that each medium has gotten to have in sort of a, a, a different wave over the last two decades, three decades, when you get like the digital and then you don't need mm -hmm. the entire camera crew. One person can film it. You can make that, that the same sort of sea change happened in video games where in the eighties, one guy would program it and then it was five people. And then it was everyone that makes a call of duty. And then we came back around on the other side where one or two people could make a small indie game that actually made you feel feelings it was like oh okay like giving it back to a very small group of people allows you to do something that is a singular vision and doesn't mm -hmm. cost a billion dollars so <laughs> yeah you know i i i genuinely feel like i missed out on sort of the shift in video games because i that was an area in which i did allow myself to be really intimidated and kind of frozen out sure of the culture um that I don't know. We I, invite me back sometime when you ha want to have a discussion about fandoms, um, because I think on some levels they're fantastic and on some levels they are terrifying and they are exclusionary. And it's sort of like this weird shift has occurred that everybody who felt like an outsider and got involved in a fandom. You know, now they're excluding people from coming into the fandom. It's 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 very complex, and I don't want to bore you with my theories about it. But um, Nathan Rabin, yeah. uh, from his book "You Don't Know Me, you, But You Don't Like Me," about the fandoms of Fish and Insane Clown Posse, who he toured with right. for five years, uh, read a selection from that at my wedding. So yeah, the wife and I are big <laughs> into what fandoms mean about things. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. What you like and... matters. <laughs> It, it does. And the question is, how welcoming are you? I mean, this sort of goes back to how we feel at Love Garden. The idea is the doors are open and we actually do want you here. Whereas I don't have a lot of experience with a lot of really rabid fandoms until I was asked to do a story about fan fiction. And I found out fast. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, that is a thing not to say with this group. I thought I was just being friendly, but apparently I have grievously insulted somebody. Oops. Okay. Well, yeah, that one it's has just... so many rules that you have to accept just to be there. Like, you certainly broke all of them by just mentioning it, its existence. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. And um, I was asked to do... I was asked to look into it because someone said, Okay, Laura, we know you're, like, very widely read and you... You, you go all in on people who sort of create their own community. I absolutely do. Um, what can you tell me about fan fiction? I was just like, not much. And they're like, okay, well, AO3 has been entered into the Nebula Awards, and we think they're going to win, and we want you to do a story. And I was just like, I will be terrible at doing this story. I will edit it. Okay. <laughs> that, by the way, that is like the most common phrase out of my I would be terrible at that. Let me edit it because <laughs> I'm really, really good at absorbing information, but I'm not so great with the um, interaction with people where you have to sort of like, I don't want to say you sneak your way in, but like in a lot of cases, you kind of have to already at, be, at least be on the fringes of it to do this story in the first place and do it well. Right. Whereas what I'm really good at is amassing a spectacular amount of information, looking at the story you've given me and saying, 
oh, wait, no, you left out, you left out this thing that's going to be really important. That's the thing I'm good at. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And as a result, so they were like, this AO3 thing, we want there to be an AO3 story if it wins the Nebula or the Hugo or whatever it was it won, and it did. And I was like, great, I am ready to edit this story. And I learned so much. Um, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. And uh, it would absolutely kill me to get involved with it because I just know for a fact I would be breaking like every possible rule and then people would yell at me and I would hate that and I would be embarrassed that I had a, I had tried to write something for them and it was like so completely wrong and uh you know so that's that's not going to be for me but you know now now I feel like I have a working knowledge of a lot of different fandoms and maybe not so much you know a little bit in fan fiction I can tell you sort of Okay, what are the really big communities? Right. I know I know which they are, and I know who people ride or die ship in each of them, and I know you know I, I can I can put all that together. Um, but I, I think there is a bigger how do I even put this? There's a whole cultural shift that has to do with who do you make friends with, who do you socialize with, and social media changed it all. Mm-hmm. And I could tell that it was going to change it all when I got my very first online account. I was 14. I had an, an ARPANET account <laughs> that I accessed through a Unix terminal. And I had to know Unix to be able to use. I was like talking to professors all over the country. It was ridiculous. I used a VAX. Yeah. How and often do I you quote could... the line from Jurassic Park about it's a Unix environment? Was that you as a kid? <laughs> you were you were Ellie. <laughs> I absolutely was, Wonderful. and um, I was I was hardcore fax user, and um, got on the well. <laughs> I was one of the younger people on the well. That was kind of insane, but like I could see the possibility there. Like this is going to change everything, and then when they figured out a way to, and and I was thinking that just when you were like typing things in, <laughs> you know, in a computer language to have conversations with people, once it was like. You know, I can remember thinking, when they get the graphics up and running, this is going to be a big deal. I really hope AOL knows what they're doing. CompuServe, you know, like, if you guys can figure out the load times and if we can speed it up, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing. And then, of course, my older friends, you know, came to me like, it's really great that you were so excited about this at the age of 17, Laura, <laughs> but I'm here to tell you right now, there is a killer app and it will exist and it will drive this industry and it is pornography. And I was like, who would do that? <laughs> like, oh, my yeah, poor sweet summer everyone. child. <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly. I interacted um, with I was somebody like, last week who has a prodigy email account still. And I was like, how? Do you, are you the last person there? How is that even possible? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I did shut out the lights when you leave. Please <laughs> unplug the server. But don't unplug it. We're using it for crypto mining. Yeah, okay. <laughs> if CompuServe could come back as a crypto community, sure, why not? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could happen. Could I'm not happen. saying it couldn't. <laughs> but I, I am fascinated by sort of the, the swing in sort of like what was cool then versus what is cool now. Like the dynamic has entirely changed sure. that the people that I was drawn to be friends with when I was a teenager, um, you know, 
this was largely based on exclusion. I was never going to be a jock. I was never going to be beautiful. I was never going to be rich. I was never going to be any of these things. So I'm going to hang out with these other people. And now, but like, I don't think people realize now how much in 83, 84, 85, in that type, you know, time frame, like the, the thing you see in the movies about the jocks, and they were the popular people. They weren't the evil guys. They were like the popular people, right? <laughs> and I knew they didn't want anything to do with me. But, <laughs> you know, I'm just saying that has all changed now because now it's sort of the archetype. Those archetypes are there, mm-hmm. right? And um, I don't know. It's just it's very, very different now. And I think social media has had a lot to do with it. You can meet a lot more people who are interested in the super focused thing that you are interested <laughs> in. <laughs> and, for for and better or worse. <laughs> I was going to say there are a lot of ways that's great. And there are a lot of ways that's kind of scary. I mean, I'm going to continue broadcasting rather than narrowcasting because <laughs> I think I have something to offer the world with that. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't think radio's going away. No. Like, people are just, I, you know, come come the grid meltdown, you can still use a crystal radio, I guess. I might not be able to broadcast. But, like, the point is, um, I think narrow casting has caused some problems as we see, you know, people getting in trouble with, you know, streaming and all of these sorts of things. I, I think... It, I think we do lose something when it's like, look, the only thing I listen to is trap music made by 18-year-old, you know, people from Atlanta. That's all I listen to. It's my only thing. Okay, well, I think we have a lot fewer people with the sort of, like, breadth and depth, and that's why we're always going to need critics and curators, you know, Uh because there's a lot out there that you've maybe never seen because we're all too busy. We're all overworked. We're all exhausted. We're stressed out from the pandemic. Am I really going to invest hours upon hours to learn about this whole new genre of music and, you know, doing a deep dive into this other stuff? At a certain point, you're just tired and you want to listen to the thing you know you want to listen to. Okay, that makes the job of the critic even harder. But this we this is like that it. shift from when television has three channels and so everyone saw every yeah. show because it was a cultural moment everyone shared to the point now where I'm like trying desperately to convince a friend to get Peacock Plus because there are a couple of <laughs> right. shows I think they'll love on it. But then the entirety yeah. of that part of the medium can just go away. Once they've got the reboot of Saved by the Bell, it's you can stop. <laughs> I'll just say I feel... I really like pop culture, mm-hmm. and I think I have a decent enough grasp of it to get by online and stuff. Like, I can have conversations about it. But Your, your Twitter's wonderful. Oh, thank you. I always enjoy seeing uh, you there. Oh, thanks. Same with you. And I – there are so many things, and I, I, I keep a really tightly curated timeline on Twitter – Um, because I believe that the form lends itself really well to people who are good writers, who are good editors, and who are comedians, because they understand economy of language. (laughs) And that's why they're good at Twitter, right? Because it's short, it's comparatively short. Um, And that means I follow a lot of people who write for magazines and critics and all this sorts of, these these are my friends, these are the people I hang out with, these are the people I talk with if if I'm online. And they're always like, oh, Laura, you've got to see this entire series. And I'm just like, I do not have it in me. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I I work with the news all day long. I host a live radio show for four hours <laughs> a day. And literally when I go home, I want no input. I like go in, I sit down, I might read a book. I play with the dog. 
I might I I will I will confess that I do check Twitter all the time because if I'm going to find out about breaking news I'm going to find out about it there before I'm going to find out about it anywhere else. Yep. And like make the call do I need to go into work? Do I need to go right now? Do I need to call the BBC? What do I need to do? And um I'm not saying I'm not encouraging people to take it as gospel but for hey a thing happened Twitter is pretty much unbeatable. <laughs> Like, maybe take that as your starting point and then go find out what happened. But for, hey, a terrible thing happened, that's where you want to go. They're going to tell you right away. And um, as a result, I'm working my way around to a lot of things, but it's just it's really slow because I have to convince myself that I want to invest the time and energy. Because in And in so many cases, it's like I do not want to commit to this and have them – like cancel after a season like <laughs> i don't want to get invested in these characters and then it's like done because we didn't put enough money into it and nobody's watching sure. it and invariably the stuff i like eh. right um we don't have hbo we we are we are a cableless family that we do subscribe to various things you know like sling i okay you follow me on twitter so you know i like cricket so we have sling we have a sling thing so i can watch like cricket from the west indies at two in the morning okay whatever um so we we can access certain things but we don't subscribe to every service and we're totally cool with that because kelly listens to a lot of records and i read a lot of books and i did we actually do have peacock which we got so we could watch eurovision because i'm that kind of nerd and um oh we have hulu i did finally get around to watching only murders in the building Great show. and i liked it <laughs> i i thought it was good and i was glad about it well, but it's like all it these people who are like, people yeah uh, of course. Our, our folks <laughs> our peeps yeah um but like i understand i get the succession is amazing and wonderful and i'm not gonna pay for hbo max to find out about it i'll wait I'll wait. I'll wait till it's done and then I will watch it all in like a month. I'll just, which, okay, and now here's another thing. <laughs> I, this is like destroys my credibility. I will find out enough about a particular show or a series or anything like that so that I can edit a story about it. Sure. Okay. Because my job as the editor is not to say, oh, no, 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 you're entirely wrong about Logan Roy's motivation here. Uh. My job is to be able to say, Oh, this is the Roy family. <laughs> I need to know like the real basics about this, so I can say this doesn't match up. This doesn't work. And can you tighten this here? Can you take this? Does this make a problem if we take this out? Um, so it's my job to basically know just enough about it, uh-huh. right? And so here's my big uh, admission: <laughs> there none of like the prestige, you know, golden age of prestige TV shows did I watch in first run. I watched them all at once later. So I, I kind of feel like I was a pioneer on binging because I like never saw The Wire until enough people said, you have to see The Wire. And I went out and I got the DVDs and I watched them all, you know, and I didn't have Netflix giving me grief about, are you sure you want to watch this? Don't you have a life? Do you want to just keep continuing? Be you sad, horrible person who just has nothing better to do but do this. Okay. I feel very guilty when I, when I binge watch, obviously. Obviously, I'm not quite over that yet. Anyway, um, so I, The Wire, Mad Men, um, Deadwood, The Sopranos, watched them all, all at once. It's just, okay, this is the show I watch now. This is, this is, and for like a month, that was 
that was it. That was what we watched. And um, though we haven't done that so much lately, we've been on a, on a real jag about documentaries. So we've been watching a lot of documentaries, uh, streaming them, which are available kind of all over the place. So, so much the better, um, you know. And uh, the Lawrence Public Library has Canopy, which has like Love a Canopy. staggering number. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, we have that. And um, oh, we got rid of Tubi after it got bought. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're weird like that. We're I was so excited to ask there. you how to make journalism a, a sustainable career emotionally, because I, I worry about my burnout, but it sounds like you're doing the exact same thing I'm doing. So it's pretty yeah. okay. <laughs> Scroll <laughs> well, on Twitter, there's a, there's listen a... to records, try to read a book, uh, unless news happens and then you don't have a life anymore. <laughs> well, I think it's also... I, I don't know your academic background, but I did not intend to do journalism. And <laughs> my interests in the world, you know, I, I, I work at the University of Kansas. I work at Kansas Public Radio. This is a function of the University of Kansas. And people show up all the time like, hey, will you teach me how to do well, now they ask if I'll teach them how to do podcasting because essentially radio is podcasting just long, longer. And um, I say, of course, yes. And they're like, oh, should I take some journalism courses? I was like, you should study the thing that really inspires you and that you really love. And in retrospect, I do not know how people who work in news have managed to get through the last seven or eight years without having studied philosophy because that is <laughs> and my area is like super niche and ridiculous who cares you know but my my area of focus was deontology which is studying the moral philosophy of duty what is what what are we obligated to do and that is the thing that i studied academically and had intended to teach other people and having a background in philosophy has been an absolute core for all of this because when things really feel like they're spiraling out of control, I, you know, I sort of mentally break things down into, you know, questions of moral philosophy, which, right. you know, the news writ large can be. And I, I can sort of see it through that filter. And I think, I think we obviously... I think we need more philosophers in the world, or at least people who are aware that it exists. Sure. Let's talk about ethics. You know, my, my area is duty and ethics. And, and so when things happen in the news, you know, it is my job to relay them mm -hmm. uh, without judgment. And I can do that because I studied philosophy for a really long time and was going to do it professionally. Thank God I didn't because, <laughs> you know, the, the academy's in a, in a spot right now and I'm not. I don't know how they get out of it, but um, we get the, to the do reality. a little more of uh, having to make a choice there on what we want to say about things, and the responsibility that comes with that duty uh, is something that has to be discussed once a month about, like, where does this go, and what does that say, and who does it benefit? So, like, sometimes I wish it was narrower. Sometimes I wish it was wider. <laughs> well, I, I do, I do think those questions are even more present as as the news environment has shrunk right and and the way in which news is delivered there's just there's no way to put the genie back in the bottle right. about <laughs> you know about what news costs money and I, you know, terrible decisions were made on the front end of all of this like about 1993 they made some decisions that really screwed things up and you know why 
I think there are a lot of headline writers in the world who have a lot to answer for in the afterlife. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I saw one just the other day that I just thought that is, you have completely misrepresented what has gone on. And I know you did it for clicks and I'm so mad at you. There was one this morning. I actually tweeted about it. It was a headline that was like, there are many types of alcohol. Let us explain them to you. And I was just like, what? Because no one's ever heard of alcohol. It was like, I don't know if it was like the Sun-Times, but it was in Chicago. It was like some Chicago paper, honest to God, had a headline that's just like, let us tell you about this new invention called alcohol. You may enjoy it. It's like, in Chicago. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was just nuts. Okay, that was just. You're, you're talking to Malort people. You know they've invented alcohols that, that aren't even. If you're willing to drink Malort, you are in for the long haul. Is all I got to say because I lived much in Chicago. Haul. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying you are like committed. You have committed that you want to drink so bad you're going to have Jepson's Malort. Okay, good for you. <laughs> I admire, I admire your commitment. <laughs> it's not for me, but I don't actually know who it's for. But and I really like Fernet Branca, so there. <laughs> if if they can't get you, then yes, it's just a mouth prank for people like me and Liz Cook. It's totally fine. You know, uh, but before I hopped on tonight, I was uh, checking out the pitch site and the archives, and it turns out the only time we've mentioned Kelly. Uh, was a uh, 2010 article where he put together a mixtape for us. The embedded mixtape is no longer there. It just talks about how cool of a mixtape it is uh, in, an, in an article <laughs> we may have by it. Nick Spacek. Uh, so oh, okay. We, uh, okay. Well, we in the last six months brought back the uh, weekly playlist column, uh, a thing that I uh-huh. did not know until tonight we'd done a decade ago. So yeah. can I get both of you to contribute playlists in the near future? feel like we've really got to catch up a decade later. <laughs> Um, you should ask Kelly okay. because he runs a business and he's like super busy all the time. Me, yeah, <laughs> I do news broadcasts. It's not, I got, I got none got of the time. time. No, uh, um, as long as it, okay, I will tell you, I will tell you this. I feel that I have, and I'm sure everybody believes this, but I think I really do. I have a very broad range of interests, um, when it comes to music, which, <laughs> And and I, I am still listening to some new music, but in general, uh, newer music is not not for me. Um, I've just I've learned that about myself. It just I'm really old, and it doesn't it just doesn't speak to me. Well, that that Olivia girl, she's got her driver's license. The guy's not paying attention to her. She's driving past his house. Okay, good for you. Be careful out there. Gas is expensive. Take care. You know that's like, that's like all I got. And. You know, I can admire, I can admire the schutzpah <laughs> of Taylor Swift. Yeah, Taylor's version. Okay, good for you. I'm yeah. glad you're successful enough that you can pull this off. But in the meantime, there are plenty of like really great people I'm never going to hear because it can't be marketed. And my, I, I guess that's what my problem with current popular music is. It all feels market tested to me. It all mm. feels, you know, but, and that's just my take on it. You need to listen to more Atlanta Be- Trap. Get on that sound clearly, clearly, you just, clearly. You missed your call. Um, <laughs> my my, I love a lot of different kinds of music. I love jazz. I love funk. I love rock. I love indie rock. 
I do feel like Feist has a lot to answer for. <laughs> the genre Feist spawned. <laughs> you got a lot to answer for, lady. Anyway. Um... That, that is the person who, have, I, who I have seen have their worst concert night. Uh, so, yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> okay. Um no, I, I respect it that it takes... the fourth take... opener for Muse, and it will surprise you <laughs> that the Muse audience did not want to sing along to one, two, three, four. <laughs> you know, um... <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm trying, like... <laughs> I want you to picture, like, in the TV version of, the most recent TV version of Sherlock, where he's got, like, stuff, like, raging through his head. I'm the one, like, Muse. Ah, Yes! Kate Hudson's Kate Hudson Hudson's husband. That's that's who Muse is. Oh wait, they're the one with that one song I really liked. <laughs> the one about the end of the world. Um, that's like apocalypse. Three of their full album. Apocalypse. Yes, please. <laughs> apocalypse. Apocalypse. Please. That's it. That's it. Okay. Thanks for like, letting me really into like your mind time. palace for a second. Really appreciate it. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like I. There's so much material out there that now it's like I have like these basic facts, and I might get more than that, but. The things that I really love are things that really fill up the space, your aural space. I, I, I just like big. So obviously I really like Prague. I really like some classical. I just, I want it to be really big. So that new song, Apocalypse Please, really works for me because it's huge, right? It's just, you cannot ignore it. I was going to say, you're I, describing <laughs> what that band lives to be. Uh, like I, I But I don't them... think it works all the time for them. Okay. But that song really works. And um, I just, I like it big. I like it loud. I like it aggressive. I am also, I have synesthesia that is uh, color audio. Right. Okay. So I love it. I love it. Uh -huh. I, I'm seeing things and I'm hearing things and it's huge. And that's what I really love. So uh, the other thing I really love is when it sounds, you know, I was about to say when it sounds joyful, but I mostly like like really depressing music. But um, it, it has to sound authentic to me. It has to sound like somebody got some joy out of making it. Gotcha. So I really love garage rock i you know from the not just the stuff on the nuggets set but you know stuff from that era like the late 50s early 60s and that that, and that translates to jazz as well so i like a lot of stuff but you're not going to see a lot you know from the last five years probably on any list that i make from you because i just i'm not familiar enough with it and i mean there's just there's so much out there i'm still you know there's still great prog albums i haven't heard yet and that yet is not going to stop me from listening to more King Crimson on the way home, because <laughs> because in the court of the Crimson King, in the court of the Crimson King is great. I was driving Kelly nuts the other day because he's playing some video game. We have like a whole room that's just like the video game room. Yeah, <laughs> and um, which people are just like, this is why you guys didn't have kids. It's like so you could specialize these rooms, you know, and just you know do nothing but play games or listen to. CDs or vinyl or whatever. And yes, that's how our house is set up. So I'm in the book reading room and Kelly's in the video game playing room. And there's, it's it's some sort of war arrangement. I don't even know what it's called. Anyway, um, because I know so little about these games. Um, it's not Call of Duty. Uh. And 
it's not it's not like a first person shooter. He likes he likes ones that are like a puzzle. Okay. Or like that involve logic leaps and construction of worlds. Sure. He was really into like this I forget what it was called, like failsafe, fallout, something like that. He was like really into that for a while. Anyway, so now he's playing this other one, it's like a war thing. And there's this haunting melody that floats through. <laughs> and I was just like are you listening to King Crimson? Did they pay King Crimson for this? I hope they did. And Kelly's like, what are you even talking about? And it turns out, I proved to him, because this is our marriage, me dragging out a bunch of records going, listen to that. That is the exact same chord progression as this 12 seconds in this obscure King Crimson record. And he's just like, yes, yes, you are correct. Do you feel better? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I feel much better now. <laughs> There's and no I've gotten greater, that off my chest. No greater feeling in the world than being technically correct. The best kind of correct, as we all know. Well, yeah. So anyway, uh, he he may have time. Yes, I would definitely <laughs> ask him. And I will I will happily make you playlists, but a lot of it, you just got to be aware. Like, there's going to be a lot of late 50s, like, Mingus. I'm, I'm fully in for it. Can't wait for the journey you're going to prep for me. Can you tell the listeners where they can find you online and listen to your work? Um, you can always listen to Kansas Public Radio at kansaspublicradio.org. We stream. We have two streams that are always running. We simulcast Morning Edition and All Things Considered. Uh, and our KPR2 stream also has the BBC World Service and BBC programming. So that's our more news and information. So at kansaspublicradio.org, you can always hear me and check out we have vast archives you can hear some of the stories we have put together but on uh, I strongly encourage you to if you have not experienced public radio before um, give it a try I, I think you'll like it we work really hard to to just give you the information and and you know let you figure it out from there that's that's our goal just tell you the truth that's as, as much as you can do Thank you so much for your time. I will see you on the Twitters. Uh, can't wait to have you back to talk about synesthesia and uh, DC in that awesome. period. And uh, clearly we have a lot to get through. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I know I babbled on and on, but I no, am this is the start always happy to be a guest. <laughs> Bring, anytime you're just like, ah, oh, we have no topic. We have no idea. Where's Laura? Laura can talk about anything with 10 minutes to prep. Um, we didn't even get to Betty and, Davis tonight. So <laughs> I was going to say, and please, I'm begging you when you, when we're done here, listen to, they say I'm different tonight. It'll it's, it will edify you. It will edify you. I will do that right so. now. Have yourself a wonderful <laughs> evening. Get home safe. Thanks so much. Thanks for the invitation. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. And that was the Streetwise podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Thank you for always tuning in. Um, really appreciate everything that y'all been saying on social media lately. Uh, it's been a very supportive time. Everyone's uh, had really great things to say about our latest issue, which I've appreciated. We are heading into deadline on our next one. Uh, a lot of great stories we cannot wait to share with you. Uh, check out the great work that people are doing at thepitchkc.com each and every day of the week. Um, thank you for listening to this show. Be cool to each other out there. Take care of yourselves here in the winter. Um, it's in and we'll make it through. Bye-bye-bye-bye-bye.
This was a production of The Pitch Podcast Network. The Pitch is Kansas City's independent source for news and culture. Check out thepitchkc.com to see more podcasts from us, including information for how to subscribe to The Pitch or become a sustaining member. Story ideas or feedback? Write to tips at thepitchkc.com. Pitch in and we'll make it through.